0: Welcome to Close Horse, the podcast that really, really, really wants you to stop buying fast fashion. I'm your host, Amanda. This is part two of our conversation with Katie and Maggie, the sisters behind sustainable hat brand, Salt Hats. We're going to be talking a lot about how you can spot fast fashion because remember, Most retailers and brands function as fast fashion in 2020. The industry was basically forced to work faster and faster, cheaper and cheaper, in order to stay competitive against the big fast fashion retailers. So fast fashion is all around us. We started this conversation in the last episode, and I'm sure you've had other stuff going on since then. So here's a recap. Over and over again, I hear that fast fashion is cheap. And well, I'm here to tell you that's not always true. Like, yes, it was cheap to make for sure, but the price on the price tag is not a good gauge of whether or not something is fast fashion. Basically, retailers have found a way to grow and become even more profitable in the era of deals, 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 and nonstop fast cycling trends. And how do they do that? They lower the cost of the actual garment by substituting cheaper fabrics, cutting out details, using cheaper trims, speeding up the production process by skipping fittings and squeezing the factories on costing. If you're new to the pod, I suggest you listen to the first two episodes, which will break down all the costs involved in making a garment. And how the industry brings those costs down. Retailers know that a big chunk of what they sell to you will either be on sale or have some sort of discount code applied to it. So that stuff has to be so cheap to make. Otherwise, they lose money. And you know what else? They have to cover the cost of all that air shipping, which allows them to make decisions last minute. Shipping clothing and accessories via air is incredibly more expensive than shipping via boat, which was the standard pre-fast fashion era way of shipping most clothes. This cost, which trust me is so much higher, gets covered by using cheaper fabrics and all the other things I talked about earlier. Once again, this is covered in our first two episodes, so if you're new Do yourself a favor and listen, because I think it kind of puts everything we've talked about since then in context. It will make everything make a lot more sense. Do it. Just go listen to it right now and come back. This will still be here. (laughs) So in summary, you can't always spot fast fashion by looking at the price tag. Sure, sometimes you can. Some things are just so cheap. It's an obvious red flag. It's that big red flag that says fast fashion in like rainbow glitter. Or is it gold glitter? I don't know. You pick the color of glitter. It's still fast fashion. Nonetheless, it's important to remember that other retailers are marking things up a ton, sometimes eight to 10 times the cost of actually making the garment. This is based on my experience. These numbers are ripped from my personal headlines. But the thing is, the retailers need that extra money to pay for marketing, display, stores, etc., And they are anticipating that they will only be selling a small percentage of this at full price. And you know what? Most of them still have shareholders to pay dividends. So they have to make a profit after all of these expenses, after giving you all these hot deals. So the product has to be cheap. You know, as I was writing all this out, I I don't know, it was like I had this light bulb moment where I realized that the retail price, as in the price that you see on the price tag, that full price, is more of a marketing tool than anything else. It makes you, the customer, feel like something is valuable. It can make a brand seem more premium than it is. It lends that air of a hot deal when you get it on sale. And most importantly, it will silence that little voice in your head that's saying, yeah, but this is a synthetic sweater and it's already pilling here in the store and the fit seems weird. You know what, this seems really cheap because you'll look at the price tag and it'll say $128. So you'll think, I guess this must be quality. I must be wrong. This thing must be made to last. It's going to be a great investment of my money. If you've been listening to the show long enough, you know that that's not true. Another sign of fast fashion is the huge selection and just like nonstop arrival of new, 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 this is new, that's new, everything's new. We're going to talk about this a little bit more today, but it's safe to say that if a store has a thousand or even hundreds of different items for sale, then it's fast fashion. This nonstop flood of product makes it really hard for the retail workers themselves, and we'll be talking about that a lot today. We also talked about it a little bit in the last episode. To be honest, working for a fast fashion retailer really sucks. That's all I can say. For retail workers, you're caught between the pressure of district and corporate management and the demands and cruelties of the customers, and it's not a good place to be. It's a hard, hard job. Ask me how many times I had to, even though the whole city was closed down for a snowstorm and the buses weren't running, I still had to go to work and had to walk literally five miles through the snow and ice because the district manager insisted that we open the store anyway. And guess what? We would have like one customer who was just out walking her dog and surprised to see us open. I mean, that is what working in retail is. There are no snow days. There are almost no holidays for you. You don't know what a weekend is, except that it means the store is a lot busier. And, you know, I think I blocked a lot of that out of my memory when I sat down to have this convo with Katie and Maggie, but I'm glad I had the chance to hear their experiences and reflect on my own. It made me see an even bigger picture about the fashion and fast fashion industries that I need to see to do a better job on this podcast. Hopefully you're having a similar experience by hearing this stuff. So let's get into our conversation. Let's go. Another one is like, I mean, you guys kind of touched on this already, is like the stuff super trendy. Like possibly if you work at Zara, it could be like directly from the catwalk and We're talking like extremely short turnaround time from when the trend is spotted to when the product arrives in stores. I feel like Forever 21, especially like Forever 21 in the early aughts and even like 2010 era never ceased to like blow my mind how fast a trend would be there. Like they had all that horrible tribal before anyone else.
1: So much. It was one of the categories that had to move around. between.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I was imagining, I was imagining because I was thinking about the store that I worked in and. We usually had three or four shops on the women's floor, so not like thirteen or whatever you had. But I remember that era. Uh, the one shop had tribal print cutouts. Remember uh, cutouts? Yeah. Are they? They're probably still around somewhere.
2: Yeah, try and hang that up. Uh, try and merchandise. That.
0: Yeah, just a, I know those dresses always looks like such a nightmare on the hanger.
2: Oh yeah.
0: Another one that you'll see some places is like small quantities of styles and that's not always true because like the store I worked in, we would get a hundred of everything no matter what. But some retailers like Zara only bring in a small amount because they plan to move through it so fast. Like they don't want it to hang around.
2: Especially for like a bigger retailer, maybe not so much Forever 21, but like H&M, where they uh, do a lot of basics and they do a lot of more classic styles. When they have the hyper-trendy styles, they do only get a certain amount. And then that happens to also be the item they put in the ad that has gone yeah. out. <laughs> and you get the item of three course, weeks always, before the ad always, goes out. So by always. the time the ad rolls around, it's gone. But they'll have small quantities of these desirable items and then endless, endless quantities of the items that are, you know, no one really wants to end up on the sale racks. Totally,
1: totally. Forever 21 actually did, uh, they will get, well, I don't know if they still do, like five of something. And, you know, then four of them will sell and one will be there for two years and you'll, mm-hmm. you'll keep trying to shove it around. And, <laughs> and people will
2: <laughs> ask where the other ones are. Yeah. Oh my order. God.
1: Totally. Totally. I feel
0: like you see that a lot in Forever 21. and. I will say that, like, the company I worked in retail for for the longest, we were always constantly shoving every rack with as much stuff as possible. But we always had, for the most part, these larger stories. Like, the same thing would come in three colorways and we'd get, like, multiple size runs of it. So it would be pretty clean merchandising in that way, even though it was like you could barely shop the rack, you know, without like hurting
2: yourself. Yeah, yeah. But it looks great though. Yeah, I loved merchandising of a full size run.
0: Totally. But then as fashion got faster and faster, we would have more and more of these racks that were like onesies, twosies of like 50 Mm -hmm, different things, because we were only getting a size run in the first place. So, you know, maybe four, six, eight units. And it
2: looks great paced out for a week. And then all of a sudden.
0: And that is of course, yeah, what everybody wants to buy. And you're like running to the back to look it up on the computer, like every hour. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So another thing is this idea of items going on sale really fast. Like, do they spend a really short time at full price before going to markdown? that's definitely seen something that I've seen pick up like so much speed in my career. Where, like, in the early days of my buying career and before that, when I was working in the store, stuff would be at full price for like three
2: months. Or, yeah, now, now,
0: it's, or longer, or longer, yeah. you know, depending on when it came in. Like, because our major like sale times were going to be like after Christmas and like, you know, sometime like before summer came, like in the spring.
2: It's like very specific. Yeah. Like, like, times a year kind of thing and we
0: would do markdowns like each department would do markdowns once a month and then that picked up until like we were doing markdowns every week and like suddenly stuff was only going to be at full price for four to six weeks and i mean i know like forever 21 used to not have markdowns at all really and now they even have a sale section all the time i don't know how it is there for markdowns i don't know Do you do a lot of i guess h&m usually has a pretty decent amount of stuff on sale Right. Oh, yeah.
2: And even over my, you know, decade plus, there, just watching how quickly stuff started to go on sale. um, I think like by the time I left, they were, you know, not as profitable or not at least um, increasing profits every year. And so we would get things on the truck that were delayed. Often we'd have delayed shipments. And by the time they got there, they had, you know, we would be marking things down a week, a month after they got there. And, you know, you'd been waiting on this item to merchandise this really specific trend. It would get there and it'd be on sale, you know, and you'd have to put it right in the sale department. And God. the sales there got really, you know, really, really heavy. Um, and then we would also do, I think they still do it. It'd be like, we call them fashion finds in the like, you know, 2010 era. Uh, we call them fashion finds. I think they're called just like deals. And every single holiday has all these deals. Mm-hmm. And so you're using all these hours To have people go collect these items out of the different departments that they had just merchandised, made them look beautiful, put up the marketing, take them, and then just slap them in the front of the store and add additional hang tags. Probably any retailer, because I feel like I could could see it everywhere, but specifically um, in like the 2010 to 2015 era of fast fashion, one of the biggest things, they were just obsessed with marketing. Mm -hmm. And so everything had this, uh, you know, you'd get this item that had a hang tag on it, had the price. A lot of the time it has these additional hang tags that specify some sort of, you know, greenwashing initiative or some sort of special collection with a celebrity. But then you would add even more. You'd you'd tag this tag into the shoulder that says $5 really big. And then you get this marketing, you know, you receive marketing months ahead of time and you as visual merchandiser, keep it in order. And then by the time the actual sale would come around or the actual event would come around, they would change that marketing. (laughs) So you'd get this rough order of like, four times more of the posters than you could ever use in your store and 20 times more of the hang tags and then you just add all this other paper junk to everything and just push it to the front of the store
0: and then it would all go in the trash
2: <laughs> oh yeah and then you know a lot of the times we it was like a jo- it was such a joke for such a long time because you'd add these hang tags for a weekend Sale, and then we'd be like, "Okay, schedule someone for four hours to stand in the front of the store and cut the tags off that they just added." It was just, you know, like beating your head against a wall. Well, and think of all the extra holes that added to the
0: carpets. which were already hanging on by a thread. You yes. know,
2: <laughs> Our hangers that definitely were not created to keep their, you know, help the garments keep their shape. Oh, yeah. And then you're moving them around constantly, just like everywhere in the damn store. You're just moving everything around. Oh, my God.
0: I would move the same thing five times in a week. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because Monday would come in, we'd get shipment. I'd go around and do placement with the department managers. They'd work as hard as possible to get the stuff out on the floor. Next day, I'd come in and I'd be like, actually, this needs to go to the back now. This needs to move. We need to do this. Like, just exhausting like so exhausting it would reach a point where I would be like I don't remember where I said that should go yeah you know like I I don't know anymore because I told you yesterday it should go here we haven't even gotten it out yet and now there's something else that's gonna have to take its place like I just don't know what to do anymore and so it was just like this constant Endless. endless yeah so Another symptom here is like, and I don't really think H and M does this or Forever Twenty One, but these like endless and possibly confusing promos and discounts. Like I think of Macy's when I think about that, like how there's always really weird, confusing sales running concurrently there, where like mm-hmm. I really wanted this Martha Stewart cookware piece, <laughs> so we went <laughs> uh, and like. The rack said like, "Oh, twenty percent off this," and we were like, "Oh, that's great." And then we went up front, and the cashier was like, "Well, and it's also Macy's day, so you can take ten percent more off of it." And I was like, "All right, how do, How much is it then?" <laughs> and then she's like, "And do you want to open a Macy's card and get twenty five percent off today?" And I was like, "Oh, just like what? How much is this thing?" She's just <laughs> just me. can you tell me? About, but I feel please. like that's like, I mean, especially for department stores, but for some other sto-
2: like retailers, that's just like how it goes now there's just i think i mean it's definitely i mean (laughs) h&m has all sorts of things going on i think forever 21 does too in a different way but um even there's things that are long long standing so like bring your garments and you get a coupon Mm -hmm. uh sign up for email you get a coupon so there's all these things and like we would have to learn it would there would be um basically directives sent out constantly saying what Deals could be combined with what deals, Jeez. what deals could be combined with the employee discount mm-hmm. and on a management level. It would drive you insane because you would be like, well, if I do this incorrectly, if I give these deals together, it's going to be flagged somehow, or if someone catches on or sees me doing it and I don't even know I'm doing something wrong, you would get written up for it. So like, I actually saw that many times I had a um, incident where an entire, almost an entire staff, it was just me and, as a visual merchandiser and my store manager were the only people left after this like discount scandal, basically <laughs> running an entire store. So it was this huge store in this dying mall. And it we were the only two people on the overhead team running the store with like I I mean, at the time one of my best friends worked at a store in Indiana had her flown in to help out because they were just like, we don't even know what to do. Because all of these people had been fired for discounts. Combining discounts. On, wait,
0: for H for HM clothes. Like it's sad when you think about it because those those clothes didn't even last, you know. That's an interesting point that you bring up, which is not just uh related to fast fashion, but definitely is a big part of it. Is like in my experience, the company is so obsessed with the employees possibly stealing. Like
1: oh, yes. obsessed. Yeah.
0: Like I don't know how it is at HM and Forever 21, but like where I worked, you had to to leave to go on your break or leave for the day. You would have to get a manager to Look at your ankles, Locker. look at you had to pull out all your pockets, they had to search your bag. If you wanted to use the bathroom, someone would have to let you in there. Like there were so <laughs> many rules to prevent you from stealing. And like I worked with a guy once who let some a friend of his use his discount to get one pair of jeans. And not only did he get fired, but the company took him to court for damages and basically mm-hmm, ruined his mm-hmm. life. Cause it was like oh, thousands yeah. of I mean, dollars and he made minimum wage, you know.
1: Oh yeah
2: working in management there for a long time, I saw a lot of things where um, something that without going into specifics, people who didn't need to have their lives ruined over a stupid mistake they made when they were 20 uh, cost them a lot more than it was worth, you know, Mm -hmm. to a multi-billion dollar company. Totally. We always, you know, always, you know, we believe in people, we support our people, but maybe, you know, you're not looking at what you're paying your people or how you're treating your people. And then the end result is, those people are not loyal to you, but is that their fault? I don't really know.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I know that policies for this have changed over time, but when I was in college, I worked for a pretty big retailer and I was like, you know, I, I was like a college student. I probably worked 20 hours a week. I was very disconnected from what was going on in there most of the time. Right. I'm just like, they would, mm-hmm, yeah. I would come in and they would just put me at the fitting rooms for the whole shift. Cause like, who cared? And mm-hmm. We had to have this all-store meeting with loss prevention. They brought in this guy, you know, from the corporate office who made us all take this crazy test. First question was like, who in this store do you think is stealing and why? (gasps) And the second question was, if someone said they thought it was you, why would they say that? And like, it was just all crazy questions like that. And I was like 18 years old and I was like, I knew it was wrong that we were taking this test, but like I wasn't I wasn't old enough to understand why this was wrong.
2: Yes, it's essentially, I mean, with with that obsession, I feel like they're like emotionally manipulative <laughs> partners or something, you know, like if you were to cheat on me, who would it be with?
0: Yeah, exactly. Oh, okay. Well so, so you want to cheat on me with
2: that person. And
0: you're yeah. Like, no, no, you asked me, you made me answer.
2: Yeah, like this get put in this weird position where you're like, well I had never thought about stealing, but like now I have to <laughs> Think about this, but now I have to think about how to answer because I'm going to get punished in some way. This is leading somewhere. Like there's an yeah, end the
0: yeah, and it made me feel really guilty. Yeah, where I was like, do they think I'm stealing? What if what if someone here thinks I'm stealing? Because oh, like yeah. I, I grew up in like a family that worked retail, and like shoplifting or stealing from your job was like definitely off the menu. Like oh yeah,
2: you, it's not worth because it. it's like a...
0: it's not worth it. And you know when you work in the store you see how if there's a really high theft, you all get punished by it, whether it's customers or like the team doing it. Like, I mean, it's, it's like nonstop punishment for you and you don't, you don't get a raise. You don't get a promotion. You get lectured about it all the time. There's all this extra work you have to do to prove that no one's stealing. And
2: yeah, it's it's not worth the emotional toil that it takes at the time, let alone if you get caught. So
0: yeah, like, those that taking that test I mean I don't think people would do something like that now this was like the 90s I got I mean I hope I hope
1: I, oh. I mean I don't
2: know it's it's hard to say because I feel like a lot of companies get away with a lot of things or even um they set I mean I know personally that they would set these unrealistic expectations that you could stop shoplifters by just talking to them <laughs> oh my god I
0: know the amount of training like that I've had to go through oh, in yeah. my life and then
2: but then it's also not re- like you get training but you don't really get trained and you also don't get told that it's really not that important. I had a friend, um, a good friend who worked for the company and you know you, like you said you feel personally responsible for these thefts and so even though you're not a person who would ever want to police anyone else like you're not really interested in it you feel so compelled to make sure that these things don't happen so you don't have to deal with repercussions and I had this friend who chased a shoplifter out of the mall and he she was a six foot tall woman he punched her right in the face and knocked her out right in front oh of oh my
0: god yeah, yeah no I believe it and I mean she
2: got in she... trouble she was I... the one who got in trouble
0: of course, of course, but at the same time, like, she was probably receiving all this pressure to stop the
2: shoplifters. Yeah. Oh, you yeah, know. because it was a high theft mall and they, they had to get their numbers down. Otherwise, yeah. then they also get examined because you're being watched on a camera at all times. I would mm-hmm. be taking money out of the safe, like, setting it on the desk. I, you know, I've worked at these all these problematic stores I got brought into and I would be like, you know, let me set the money in clear view of the camera so they know I'm not taking um, this money. Yeah. Even though yeah. it's not sure that missing you, you feel so paranoid. No, like
1: totally, that. totally. One time at Forever 21, uh, we had something like I think like forty mannequins on the floor, and so we had a half hour, two of us to pull outfits for every single mannequin and change them. it's
2: not <laughs> humanly
1: possible. And then yeah, also I'm get all of the clothing that we took off recensored and back on the floor. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So that was challenging enough. But one time my coworker and I were taken in the back room by the district manager. And she said, do you have anything you'd like to tell me about? And we were like, what? "Like what? Just say it, please just say it. So she showed us a video of us changing these mannequins. And there was somebody like 10 feet away from us who was like stuffing clothes in a bag. Which we did not notice because we were frantically trying to change mannequins. Yeah. And so we got in really big trouble for not catching this person and for being on camera with them stealing so close to us. And it was just like the worst day. Yeah, it was terrible. Mom,
0: but once again, like those clothes cost the company probably $5. Yeah. Oh, they cost them nothing. I know. And that's why it's like – I mean, Working in that organization, uh, you have to drink so much Kool-Aid to be like, no, this is really worth me pulling these two workers into the office and giving them a hard time about it. Because, like, it's really not a big deal,
1: (laughs) No, (laughs) you know? Well, he he was the type of person who enjoyed doing something like that. So that's the type you get pulled into fast fashion. Yeah. It's true. It's very true. Because you, you just can't, like,
2: as you get higher and higher, you know, I was higher in a store level, not. I never like, never wanted to be on the, the district team. Um, after seeing a lot of my friends join it or get, you know, promoted, but even as you get higher in the store, you just—if you actually care about human beings—you don't want to be in that position. You never <laughs> want to be in that position. Being a manager, like you know, there's all these jokes about managers, but it. You don't want to be that person, but some people get off on it. You know, some people love to be in that position of power. And it's really sad to be in a position of power of like, you know, you're a store manager at Forever 21 or a district manager at Forever 21 yelling at some 22 year old girls because they didn't confront a potentially dangerous shoplifter.
0: Well, and I think that also gets to the crux of something is that in most of these fast fashion stores, for the most part, the sales associates especially tend to be on the younger side. Mm-hmm. Or yeah. they are just desperately need a job. But for the most part, younger, yeah, like I,
2: a, maybe a stay at home mom or something like right. someone who just needs a little bit of cash.
0: Right. But so most of the people there don't know that it's not okay to get yelled at at work, like to actually yeah. be yelled at. I mean, I remember I had like a boss who would always like rub my shoulders and stuff, which oh, is oh, disgusting. Yeah. Right. But like, I. I was too young to know that that was, like, not okay. I mean, it didn't feel okay to me, but, like, to know that legally no one should be doing that to me. Or, like, the people who take you in the office and scream at you. Like, that's not okay to yell. We don't yell at work, right? So that's the kind of stuff where I feel like these companies kind of exploit these young people's inexperience lack of knowledge about what's okay and what's not and I feel like as I've gotten older I look back in my days working in stores and I'm like oh my god like what the fuck (laughs) you
1: know the things
0: I saw happen to people that worked there whose oh yeah naivete was maybe like taken advantage of basically
2: that and also I think they play into the drama too I feel like every retailer drama is like such a part of it it like Kind of takes over between you know especially if you have like a store that has multiple stores in the district and people are intermingling working together you've got all this drama and i feel like it kind of it's like they're taking young people putting them in these positions expecting these these you know unrealistic things from them and mm. then also kind of like throwing a match in there to see who's gonna lose it first
0: it's like a reality show
2: Oh it really is I mean I feel like we had conversations especially in the like the two thousand tens and that was the all that was on TV oh I want to see a, a reality show about retail because it is so dramatic and it is ridiculous I mean even as an older person working in retail by the time I left, I was in my early thirties and I had just been so beaten down you know starting it I think I was twenty two when I started there in my thirties I was <laughs> Think six months pregnant. I had basically come out of my first maternity leave. Was hired as a store manager immediately. Went into training. Training was a long thing. So by the time it was over, I had I had two kids back to back, like thirteen months apart. Oof. Yeah, that's why we're at someone else's house right now recording. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but basically, uh, you know, I, I'm glad it happened there because the maternity leave was fantastic. I was about six months pregnant. We had like what we called season starts so, like switching over for the seasons. Every, every retailer does it. And mm-hmm. they had said that the expectation was um, everyone had to receive a 90% or higher. So like, you know, you talk about it a lot with the grades, like 90% on your like corporate walkthrough. And so that was um, pretty unheard of previously to that time period to get anything above like a, you know, 70 something percent. And so I was thrust into this new role. I was six months pregnant. I'm just like emotional. I've already like drank the Kool-Aid for a good, uh, you know, nine years at that point. I went into the store. They said, you have this problematic staff. You have to work with all these people, you know, all the management issues. But then also you have to whip the store into shape. It has to look great for this this walk because everything isn't just the front of the house, there's the back of the house, there's the stock room, all of the logistics. So you have all of, the, all of these things of uh, this very intense walkthrough. And you have to hit a 90%. And so we hit an 88%. Everyone in the rest of the district, uh, we were the second highest score. And the berating that I got for hitting an 88% was emotionally devastating. I was taken into the middle of the mall to get this news as well. Right. So it was like I was being led to my execution in the middle of the public square and sat down in these horrifying like fake leather chairs while super pregnant and just like had I'd been working 12 hour days and like lying about not being there, you know, cause you can't be there off the clock. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I remember just being told, okay, well, we know that you had all these obstacles, but you only received an 88%. And like the unveiling of the score was so dramatic. And I just started crying and like, Maggie can attest to Jeez. it. I don't cry. No, I don't no. cry. <laughs> like I'm very, uh, i been Aries through and through. Like, I don't want anyone to ever see like, you know, that, especially in that environment. And I just started sobbing in the middle of the mall while just like so pregnant and just like, Oh God, there's nothing that's right about this. I was so proud of my team and I was so proud of all the things we had pulled off in that short time period. And, uh, it was just like someone sucker punched me and I didn't expect it because we really thought we were going to be close to a hundred percent. We had turned all these things around. We had worked so hard to get this, this situation together. But even at, in my thirties, I felt I was emotionally manipulated into just sobbing in the middle of the mall, like a hot mess.
0: Like unnecessarily. Yeah. Like once again, we're just talking about some store merchandising that Yeah. to be honest, customers don't care.
2: No, they don't care at all. And like our sales were excellent. We had, I mean, at that store, we ended up down the line, like all these people were getting promoted out of that store. We had all these great things going on. But because of this arbitrary scoring system where, you know, you would look at other stores in the district and go, oh, you can clearly see that the reason that these scores are given is because of, you know, I want this person to get promoted and not this person. Like there's just so much drama and backstabbing. And so whether or not you pull off the task is not really you know, the matter at hand, it's all this like weird, this is weird world. It's not just at the retailer that I worked at. It's at every retailer that you're ever going to encounter. Every one of them. Anyone that's worked in retail probably can kind of find some version of that story.
0: Yeah. I'm sure that this, everything we've talked about so far is really taking some people back to dark times in their lives or (laughs) hitting a nerve or maybe bringing up some deeply buried uh, memories that they wanted to forget. Yes. So <laughs> it's kind of like we're doing therapy right now. Oh, yeah. So, another sign that a brand is fast fashion, and this is like a really modern tip problem to have, is that like, are they emailing you new trends and deals like every day? Because there are some brands that email me like twice a day. Like, oh, yeah. Uniqlo is obsessed with me. <laughs> they. They are emailing me a couple times a day every day and Uniqlo doesn't even have like that much in terms of trends.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah kind of the it's, same.
0: <laughs> it's like we ha- live in this era now where everybody has like one email account that is primarily where they just get all these dumb emails and then the other one is where they actually like conduct business and talk to their friends and I feel like I blame fast fashion for creating this problem. Like, I can't believe the number of emails I get from certain brands every day or every week, mm-hmm. so, you know, in the beginning before social media, email was the only way they could actually talk to you. Right. Cause they're not going to call your house. Can you imagine oh, if like, God. Forever 21 would have just called you every day to be like, hey, just so you know, it's 20% off everything I that's tie-dyed, you know?
2: Throw <laughs> <I laughs> my phone into the damn I know,
1: <laughs> I know. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but I don't need like, a phone anymore. If anyone wants to find me, you, you can come to my house, but I'm also not going to answer the door, so I guess I'm a
0: Right, I know, because <laughs> like, then what if they were like, we're having an aggressive door-to-door campaign where we bring you photos of, like, what the new stuff in the stores is. This week. I mean, it's, like, crazy, but that's kind of what, like, email has become. Yeah, it does
2: feel like it, doesn't it?
0: And, you know, these retailers, like for these emails, they actually have targets in terms of the number of people that actually read it. Well, first off, let's rewind the number of people who open it, the number of people who Mm -hmm. read it, the number of people who click on it and go to the website. And then if God forbid, they get this far, the people who actually buy something and (laughs) they like measure this and there's targets based on it. And in my experience in the last few years, we've found that like email just doesn't have a lot of return on investment. And I'm like, yeah, no shit. You're emailing (laughs) us like 100 times a day. Like I don't even look at any of those emails unless I'm specifically in the mood for something or I'm like really bored in an airport. Who cares? I could go on your website right now. I could look at your Instagram, you know, like why? Mm. So I feel like that's another sign that someone is like trying to sell you stuff as much as possible and turn the trends as much as possible where they're like a couple times a day like hey did you remember us today how about now okay what are you doing right now
2: okay so we have a really funny follow up for you okay. um from the first time we talked okay so we were, we had mentioned um I had said that I got duped basically by the brand universal standard.
0: Mm-hmm. I don't
2: believe they started out as much as a fast fashion brand. And I liked their inclusivity on size and, you know, that they had kind of made basics. And so ended up at buying something from a sample sale. The jeans, I swear to you, were made by the same factory as H&M. I felt very duped. We, you know, had mentioned that. And then... My sister had also said, oh, you know, I could have told you because I had this bad experience with them as well. So quick conversation about that brand. I think I get texts from them. Oh, that's the worst. That's the worst. And usually like I'm pretty savvy to that and I definitely don't sign up for it. So somehow they, you know, had started texting me. I just always delete them without even looking at the text. And then a weird thing happened since last time we spoke we both received Universal Standard catalogs in the mail. So wait, what? Yes,
1: and okay, I, was not, I ordered something from them maybe five years ago, whenever they first started, and never. Wow.
2: Really, and at the same time, within the same, within a, I think two day period, which is really close together, considering all mail's bad, but Detroit mail is especially bad. We got a catalog, like a full blown. Old school catalog with a big like sticky Delia. tab holding it shut. And <laughs> I was, like, was there some sort of data that they mined where we talked about how much we love Delia's and those old catalogs <laughs> and then uh, mentioned Universal Standard? And they said, Send them the catalog, guys. Send them. We, them. We them. We them. We them. we got them. We
0: got them. We got them. We got these boxes of them sitting over here. That is so crazy.
2: It felt like a weird small scene in a 2020 horror movie. <laughs> <laughs>
1: My only connection was that it was at my house. The conversation we were, on,
2: <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, like we were we were on my phone talking to you. We were just at Maggie's address.
0: Well, you know the phones listen.
2: Oh yeah, oh yeah, and then they must have like pinned our location at her house as well. And oh my are, god, that is the name, that name is very generic as it is. So. I mean, that was a pretty sophisticated form of somehow archaic marketing. It was—it kind of blew my mind.
0: Yeah, I'm really... And I'm also like, why are they sending you a paper catalog in 2020? Like, catalogs are so expensive.
2: Oh, and it it was a pretty quality production, but I, I started to flip through it because I just felt like, you know, I've got this paper at my house. I should at least read it once. And I was like, what am I doing? This is exactly what they want.
0: (laughs) Yeah. You (laughs) fell for it. But on the same way, I, in the odd chance that I get some sort of catalog, we got a journey's catalog here a couple months ago. And (laughs) I was like reading it on the couch. (laughs) I was like, why am I looking at
2: this? (laughs) I mean, it is kind of, I mean, Especially if you grew up in the time where catalogs actually meant a lot to you. Mm-hmm. you almost It's like you want to look at it. Like you just feel compelled to look at it, even if you hate it so
0: much. I know. Like actually, as we're having this conversation, I just want to say if the internet is listening to me talk, uh, <laughs> send me all the catalogs because I do kind of like looking at a catalog. And, you know, there's just like not a lot of, to look forward to these days.
2: <laughs> Well, I know that's who we can mail to you right now.
0: Oh, good, good, good. Yeah, <laughs> thanks. I I need to know because that's another brand that emails me every single day. So, oh well, yeah, I need to know what I'm missing. You
2: know, yeah. And what you're missing is essentially like I felt like when I was reading it, the copy reminded me of Seinfeld. <laughs> in the lane, oh oh my god, copy. the Jay
0: Peterman. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: Oh, it was. I mean, I only read a few things. and I just said I I really have to set this down. This is. <laughs> too much there's just too much going on <laughs> plus it might have a gps tracker so i've got to get this out of my house i know set. yeah <laughs> immediately
0: like put it in the swamp as soon as possible <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh no yeah dustin will find it eventually
1: <laughs> no. be In your house. <laughs>
0: So something that we've talked about time and time again, I keep, I keep, feel like we keep touching on, but we haven't like said clearly, uh, but it made me think of when you were talking about the jeans from Universal Standard is like one thing that all these fast fashion brands have in common is that the product is not high quality. It is not meant to last. It's really poorly made. Uh, it's always the worst fabric and it's intended to have a really short life with you. I mean, we've talked about this in variety of different ways as we've been talking, but... Yeah. <laughs> I just wanted to state it really clearly. And when you work in those stores or for those companies, like, you know that, you know?
2: Oh, yeah. And I mean, specifically, like, when I when I pulled those out of the package, I was excited because my sister and I have very large cabs. So, like, oh, I found this really cute pair of high-waisted black bootcut jeans, and I I wear boots every day. I'm like, these are going to be great. And, you know, if it's this brand that I can support that's actually size inclusive, like everything added up to being like, this seems like a good, a good purchase. I don't buy clothing very often. Mm -hmm. And so I got them. I pulled them out of the package and the smell hit me. And I said, oh, it was as if I was back in an H&M stock room, the sizing on those pants that smell of like the cheap sizing Mm -hmm, that's just like mm -hmm. holding that black dye in just even just looking at the details of the waistband and the construction it looked exactly like a specific pair of pants like it's almost as if I was drawn to that pair of pants because I had already owned it 30 times from H&M and worn it out within a month you know it was the exact same product but at a much higher price point even at a sample sale price I believe it was they were around 50 dollars which a sample sale, you know, you'd think would be kind of like their rock bottom prices. Yeah. But their rock bottom price, they were still selling that almost essentially that same gene for higher than when I would buy it, you know, full price at H&M. But their marketing is, it's, you know.
0: Well, you know, marketing is so important. Yeah.
2: And their, and their brand story and all those buzzwords, I don't know what they are anymore mm-hmm. because I live under a rock now, but all that, all those those branding terms everything that they do speaks to like a certain demographic mm-hmm. and they do a great job at it and that's where they put their money not in the clothing
0: oh totally i mean the places i've worked where like the marketing budget was like twice the budget of like the buying team in terms of staffing <laughs> and stuff and you're like wait but we actually have to get the product you know yeah. something that when i like think it to myself and say it out loud always kind of surprises me is that everywhere i've worked has shared vendors and factories with forever 21 and I've worked for some pretty expensive places, you know, like that alone should show you that it doesn't matter how much you're being charged to buy those jeans. They're the same jeans. Yeah. But when you're sending out catalogs and building these like, aspirational store environments and like and paying everyone's you know,
2: FBI agents to figure out if they want.
0: <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. Spent paying all the FBI agents so they're expensive, you know, it's a skilled, skilled job. And, you know, just in general, like, you know, what's the merchandising like in there? Do they give a lot of stuff to influencers? Do they put on crazy expensive events? Do they do collaborations
2: uh, with celebrities? That sort
1: of thing. Yeah.
0: Yeah. These things all cost money. And so you got to mark up the cost of the product to cover it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's a, it's a for-profit situation. Oh yeah. So let's talk about, and we've been talking about this, what it's like to work in fast fashion, but I just think like, want to underscore it because sometimes you can talk to people and get through to them about fast fashion by saying it's cheap. Or it doesn't fit well you know, it, it hurts other people. It does this, it does that. And sometimes that doesn't mean anything to them. So I want to present another angle, which is, is working in fast fashion good? (laughs) No, (laughs) because maybe that, maybe that will be the moment when someone says, you know what, maybe I'm not going to go to H and M this week. Maybe I'm not going to go to the mall at all, actually, you know? So for one low pay, I mean, I'm going to do a whole episode about retail workers, but like most retail workers, like sales associates live below the poverty mm-hmm. level. If you're salaried, which means you're practically wealthy in comparison to the rest of the people who work in the store, you work the craziest hours yes. ever. at
1: every weekend.
0: I mean, every oh,
2: weekend.
0: Every weekend. You work overnights, you do what uh, we used to call a yeah, in, yep. uh, where you close, you go home at 11 or midnight, you come back in yep. at 6 a.m. And you're usually
2: doing a truck at that time, too.
0: There's incredible pressure. We would always be like, hey, we're just selling clothes and candles, it's no big deal. But like, that's not how it felt. That's not how it felt. The crying, the headaches, I had constant stomach pain, just like constant, mm-hmm. you know, just like... Okay. Well, I hope today we can catch up on all the shipment, and the floor looks good, and we meet our sales goal, and we don't have shoplifters. If we can just all those things that are mostly out of my control, if we can just achieve them all, then today will be an okay day. You know.
2: The amount of back of house stuff that uh, goes into retail, I don't think people realize. And you know, even even within your store, you're going to have your employees that think the manager's doing nothing in the office well, the manager is doing the most incredible amount of difficult Mm -hmm. busy work um, and planning these things so far in advance. And so you have these like rivalries that build up within a store. So there's tension between your staff. You know, they think you're doing nothing. You're in there about to have a nervous breakdown. No one can really get on the same page.
0: Totally. I remember I used to do when I was a department manager, I did the schedule for the whole store and like on my section of the desk in the office, there was like a manila envelope where you could put in your requests for the schedule. And so I would have to write the schedule on my day off because mm-hmm. there just wasn't I mean, if you sat in the office for more than five minutes, everybody was like, She's not doing anything. She's just back there hanging out. And so on my day off, I would spend yeah. three, four, five hours writing the schedule on my living room floor with like all these crazy scraps of paper with people's random requests. Like I on Thursday, can I work from two thirty to seven yeah. fifteen? It's like just some of this crazy shit, like trying to balance it all. And,
2: and they gave it to you on Wednesday, by the way. Yeah, too. exactly.
0: Exactly. <laughs> and 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 like that there's so much off the clock work that you do. It's 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 insane. And I know a couple years ago there was this chance, this is uh, pre-Trump. There was this chance that this law was gonna pass where basically salaried people who made under a certain amount of money were either going to have to no longer be allowed to work more than 40 hours or they were going to have to be given a raise that took them up to like, I don't know, $32,000 or $36,000. And this, (laughs) I know, I know, this was like throwing every retail brand into a tizzy. Oh, yeah.
1: Because it's like,
0: wait, you're telling me I can't continue to pay my teams, I don't know, $28,000 a year to work 60 to 80 hours a week you're serious. Mm -hmm. Well, we're going to go out of business. Yeah.
2: (laughs) You know, I even worked in a place where, uh, we were not allowed to work off the clock. It was this huge thing. You could be written up for it. However, the workload, like their workaround instead of, you know, implying or telling people they had to work off the clock was just, you know, I don't see it. And so, you were required to do all like a, a workload that would not be possible. While they also expect, you know, management has to work Saturdays and Sundays, and you have to close two nights a week, and you have to do this, and you know, all these things on the floor. Um, so all of the things that you would have to do in the back, you do what you can on your computer, and then you take what you can home. And so, everyone was always, you know, we had this extensive, extensive um, system of promotions. And um, even for like your person who's working there 10 hours a week, they got all of these reviews and you had to go through and score them and write all of these, like these long forms.
0: Oh my God. When we had to do employee reviews, I would want to die because we did them twice a year. And it was like, I would have like 20 people I had to write reviews for.
2: Yeah. And when are you going to sit down on a computer and type it? I don't. we didn't even yeah. have word on the computer. And so it was kind of like, well, you know, you can bring your own computer, but you have to do it at the store or you can, you know, if you need to leave the store for an hour or so you can go to like a coffee place, they'd be mm-hmm. like, well, I need to leave the store for like a week to get all of this done because if I'm sitting down and I want to give like a, I really, I really did, you know, my favorite thing was development of my people. And mm-hmm. so if I want to give them, any genuine amount of time and any genuine amount of like genuine feedback, I'm going to need some time to gather my thoughts. And I'm a really fast writer. Like that, that stuff was my bread and butter. I could do that, but like, I could not sit down and do it because you're going to get called to the sales floor because ultimately it's all about the sales floor. And so Mm -hmm. what I would do is I would say, well, I'm just going to take it home. I'll type it on my computer at home. I'll I, we couldn't even email our work email addresses and we could not access a personal email address on the computer. So I guess I'll do it at home. I'll have to go print it off somewhere and come and type it back up.
0: Like just, oh my God. No, I mean, this is all, this is all so it's giving me like flashbacks to really dark times.
2: I know. Stuff I haven't thought about in a long time.
0: I know. I know. And it, but it, it was like that. Like, I just felt like, you know, and this is another thing on the list is this idea that you can never get it all done is like yeah. the name of the game cuz like once again yeah. maybe you would get all the shipment done that day. Maybe it was like a magical day where all the stuff made it to the floor, everyone showed up, it was a good close cuz remember after you close you got to straighten the floor. Who knows how long that's going to take? It's
2: usually an hour plus in most yeah, places, yeah. bigger places.
0: So you finally get that done and like it's like you're like oh my god we got it done in an hour it's like a miracle and you leave and go home but then you're going to come in tomorrow and you're going to get like twice as much shipment and move everything that you put out that day and start all over again and
2: oh yeah it just never ends
0: it would be like god forbid someone would set off the like security alarms because they were shoplifting because it'd be like great (laughs) there's two people have to be in the office with this person so two people have to be pulled off the sales floor so like how are we going to do this? Like, what if you're the only manager there? How's that going to work? Who's going to run the sales floor? What if there's a return? What if there's this? What if an employee needs to go on break and you need to cover it? And you also need to check their ankles and their pockets to make sure they're not stealing. Yeah. Like It was just like the adrenaline was like nonstop.
2: Oh yeah. And then, I mean, you always have bigger issues that come up that you have to deal with, whether it's like employees that have something going on between them, like having a fight over something and you have to literally sit down and pull. You only have four people on your floor and you have to pull two of them off to sit down and have this like talk to get it so that they can work together. I could do, you know, a whole episode on horrifying stories of things that had happened. One thing that's overlooked too is you're basically left to fend for yourself in whatever circumstances pop up. There were two instances where someone threatened my life over a supposed stolen credit card, but there was one where um, it was further along in my time uh, as a store manager, and this woman had called and said, someone used my credit card, and I think it was your employee, and she named the employee. And I said, he, I can assure you, he did not. It's not even fit. It's not like a, there's no way for him to have even gotten your credit card number, number let alone like entered it into the computer. We can't do that. But she insisted. Eventually, she had her um, husband <laughs> call, and he wanted to know when that employee worked, what time they would be off work? When we would all be off for the night because he'd be up there to meet us in the parking lot. Oh
0: my god! And
2: just like you know, threatening he's gonna he's gonna fight me. He's gonna fight this person because they stole the credit card. And so you have your security team. We're talking and talking back and forth. It's like you have all these like back and forth things because they have to figure out with whoever is a ha- like in charge of them what the appropriate reaction is. And okay, well, you got to go check all the footage. You got to pull that receipt, pull the receipt from the transaction because they have the date and the time on their credit card report. So we pulled it. It actually was the, the woman who had originally called it, and the man that was their son who had come in, um, taking their credit card out of their wallet purchased. I think it was around like 150, $200 worth of stuff. And then instead of signing his name, he wrote, I eat ass. <laughs> Um, and, and it, was, it was like poetry because it was we had just started using a system where you could see signatures and you could print receipts, and so the manager I was working with at the time. We sat there. It was like we had to collect ourselves because we said, "We said, you know, you you rarely get justice in retail," but we were like, "We have to go." The, the mom was out there, so we're like, "We have to go present this receipt." To the, the way that I look, like I'm a I'm a tall broad person with a bunch of tattoos and so I was like I don't want to you know walk out there and she's gonna have this a problem with me and so I had one of my department managers who's like this quintessential Amer- all-american blonde woman go out there and just deliver the news to her and say it in the sweetest way possible like oh, hi ma'am so we actually have the footage and, um, this is what this person looks like. This is a description. And actually, um, this is what he wrote on the receipt and you know, basically admitted all, oh, I think it was my son. So she presents her with the receipt that says I eat ass. And, she said, and just so you know, your son is no longer welcome in our store. He is banned from the mall. We had him actually trespass from the mall because this is not an appropriate thing to write on a receipt. And it was like, This glorious moment, but at the same time, as wonderful as it was, it just like threw our whole clothes for a wrench. Like like everything came to a halt because we had to go investigate the situation. And like in 90% of the cases, you're not getting that that sort of outcome. That I eat ass moment. Yeah. (laughs) We pulled up the receipt and we both just it was just silent. Like, wow, that he wrote very clearly, I eat ass. Yeah. Just like presenting it to his mom. Oh, I feel like that's, you know, I did, I accomplished a lot of things. I have a lot of things to be proud of in my career there, but that moment I felt like, high.
0: <laughs> that's a good one. Because it's like you said, you rarely get like justice when you work. Oh, yeah. There's rarely yeah. a win. You customers are mean. Uh, I've been spit on, I got hit. I have mm-hmm. a customer hit me with a package of curtains. They were in like a plastic, like mm-hmm. thing that folded up. So like, Cut my face, you know, like oh my, I have been degraded yeah, yeah. verbally. I have had people intentionally drop stuff on the floor so that I would have to bend over and pick it up. I've heard people say something like, oh, everyone should be required when they turn 18 to work retail for a few months and then like re- service industry for a few months. And I still stand by that. I think
1: I stand by that.
0: Yes. N- someone's classism never is as apparent as when they walk into a store. It's like, I don't know when we decided that people who work in stores are like just the bottom of the barrel.
2: Oh yeah. And they always assume that everyone's just so uneducated and just like doesn't Mm know what they're talking about when you, when you're in that store and that's your life for even 10 hours a week, but usually it's more like 40 to 60 hours a week, you know, so much, you know, the policies inside and out, you know what you have, you know, like the specific items and like what sizes you have left, like that's your home. So you know it and they want to insult you and say, you know, like, The amount of times I've been insulted as, like, being stupid or uneducated is ridiculous because you're usually working with people who may not have a degree but are extremely intelligent. You know, a lot of retail people are very clever and quick. And then also you have all these people who have, especially in this day and age, so many people have master's degrees that you're working with.
0: Oh, yeah. The number of people with master's degrees I worked with in the store, I mean, in this century, you know, like... There are not jobs.
2: No, there are not. Right, and, and like,
0: and especially if you have any sort of creative or liberal arts education. Like good luck, you're working at the mall.
2: Yes, or even I had a lot of people with different degrees in science, um, different sciences, and some people are also just working retail while they're in school or they're working retail because they're you know in a transition in their life. Like there's so many people that like everyone is working retail who is a working class person, basically. Like most working class yeah. people have some sort of service industry job. And there's no common denominator for anyone that works a service industry job. So painting all of us with like a broad brush is ridiculous. And also thinking that you're above them. You're, you know, one pandemic away from having to work retail yourself.
0: Seriously. I mean, I'm like at those crossroads where I'm like, will there be a retail job for me?
2: Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, point. You know?
0: yeah, I know. I know. And so I agree. I think like hitting on that, that like people who work in retail are working class, right? Because they have to work to survive. Yeah. That's the one thing they have in common. Mm-hmm.
2: And working class is generally that's... most people in the United States at this point.
0: Yeah, I know. People who think they're not are usually wrong. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All they need to do is lose their job in the pandemic and then they'll know. Yeah. So... Well, we've talked about how fast fashion is terrible, as we do on every episode of Close Horse, what is your plan for being like a more conscious consumer and what do you think about fast fashion and its future in our world?
2: This is something we actually talk a lot about, just I guess we have our whole lives, but I see fast fashion as kind of being in the death throes right now. Me too. I
0: hope. I hope. Sometimes I'm like, am I wishful thinking?
2: I mean, I guess there's still plenty of people that are very unaware, but I've seen even just moments with people I would have never expected who know more than you would expect about, you know, how fucked up it is. Mm -hmm. So I think the message is getting out there. One thing I've seen, especially in Detroit, I'm sure it's prominent in other bigger cities as well. It's just, you know spend all of our time here is a lot of smaller one person, to maybe five people brands are kind of getting the spotlight more often. Mm-hmm. I think a lot more people are interested also because I think you had spoken about this before. It's something that we talk about too, is that like, what even is a trend anymore? Oh yeah. We don't even have trends anymore. Everything that you would buy in like the fast fashion world looks essentially the same. And so it gives the spotlight to people who are doing something that's a lot different or people that are making quality products. Even in the past, you know, 10 years or so, a lot of people have kind of started getting more interested in how their garments or their accessories are made. And also like the human aspect of it, as well as like, I want something that actually does last. Everyone's sick of all the shit you put on, it falls off your feet. I actually had a pair of shoes fall off my feet at a work meeting before. Oh my God. One thing that I would specifically recommend to people is that you seek out the tradespeople, like cobblers or tailors or hat repair places, um, seamstresses, people that actually can keep what you buy alive. There's so many brands and there are so many makers that are making things that are heirloom pieces. Or you can find vintage that will stand the test of time. I mean, speaking even from, you know, working in hats, you can find a hat at a thrift store for a couple bucks that, you know, you bring in, you spend $35 to $40 on getting these repairs done Mm -hmm. and it's something that will last you the rest of your life. Plus it will actually be flattering. So I think like one aspect of um, like slow fashion is that you not only have to have the makers, but you have to have like the maintainers. There's not much to talk about during the pandemics. Like in our family, um, I've bought two pairs of really nice boots lately that are very showy, um, very well made and like reasonably priced made in the United States. So they're like handmade boots. And I mean, I wear boots all the time, but like previously I would constantly be trying to thrift like a good pair of older boots and if they're not maintained if they've been sitting in a closet for decades nothing is going to stay together so the it's there there's dry rot there's the glue is you know old and so if you Mm -hmm. buy something that's new make it something that you can have maintained and that will last a long time like i swear that getting these these like new handmade boots, these two pairs of boots is like made my whole life day to day better. And I've never gotten more compliments either. Like <laughs> it's, ridiculous. so it's like all the things that you'd want to tick off for why you would buy a garment to begin with are ticked off by like buying the quality, buying something that's going to last a long time. And then buying something that is no one has seen before and that you feel good wearing. Like, I know that I know where my boots came from, and I know that they're not going to fall apart on me in the middle of a It right. supports your whole message of buying less and buying better. Maintain those items that you buy. You you maintain your car. You maintain your home. Maintain your clothing as well, because it will last a long time if you buy the right thing.
0: 100% agreed. I agree. Uh, Maggie, do you have anything to add?
2: I mean, I don't think we actually mentioned it, but Maggie is a professional seamstress. Yeah, uh-huh. um, I do not do alterations, though. She hates all three.
0: Oh, I know that. We talked about <laughs> that in our pre our pregame prep. Yeah. yeah.
2: <laughs>
1: she works with, like, smaller local brands. In particular, I work for a local hat designer, <laughs> a different hat designer than us or my other <laughs> workplace, <laughs> weirdly enough. Um, and that's all, like, you know, cut and sew hats. So I'm actually sewing. Like, I love the company that I work for. It's called Stephen and Tie. And so when I'm making all these hats, I'm just like thinking about it's just like so much better to have something made by somebody who's like actually happy (laughs) while they're working.
0: Yeah, I think that's huge. I feel like you can tell, you know. Oh
2: yeah, yeah, you you can tell. Like there, there is like pride and workmanship. And I mean, if you're working for Mm -hmm. like I worked for the same people she works for for a short period of time, we're just like listening to really good soul music and like drinking coffee in like this beautiful warehouse in Detroit kind of thing you know and you feel it Mm -hmm. in the garments so
1: yeah I mean it just you want the person who made your clothes to like really love what they do I mean I think it makes a really huge difference in the quality and also I don't know the vibes Mm
2: -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) and like even the fit or just like what they're what they're producing they actually you know took the time to make sure that it is something that someone wants to wear on their body.
0: Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think both of you make really good
2: points. I also think Meg had a very, um, something that she really wanted to say that we can't forget about, about washing.
1: Oh yeah. Give us some washing advice here. Oh, well, okay. Personally, I will not buy anything that I have to hand wash because I know that inevitably it is going to end up in the washer
0: Oh yeah, for sure
1: we're (laughs) not. So when I'm buying clothes to hopefully have them last a long time, I Mm -hmm. only wash all of my clothes on cold, because really most clothing does not need to be washed on hot ever. And then, (laughs) just if you know know yourself, know how you're going to care for your know your habits. (laughs) Know your habits. If you are going to throw it in the washing machine and accidentally put it in the dryer, you know it better be able to withstand that.
0: I think that's a really good point. Like, just be honest with who you are. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, yep. like, I don't buy a lot of white clothing because I'm going to get coffee all over it. Yeah. Oh, I don't you buy it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And like pen, and God knows what else. And so like, I just accept that as who I am, <laughs> that I have yeah. to have dark colored clothing because I'm a slob.
2: Or just <laughs> set your own limitations and yeah, and them. Cold wash yeah. is your friend. I think a lot of people get... Um, hung up on like bacteria, especially, you know, going through a pandemic right now, people get hung up on like what could be in the clothing. But Mm -hmm. Maggie has been a huge researcher of sustainability for many years and also, um, you know, knows garments inside and out and the cold wash will, will do you good. You don't need to worry about hot water.
0: Do you use a liquid or a powder detergent?
1: I have a detergent that comes in a sheet. Oh, interesting! Reaper packaging, and you just you can rip the sheets in half if you need to do a smaller load. Um, that way, you don't have any of the like excessive plastic packaging that comes along with laundry detergent. Well, Yeah, <laughs> yeah this is like another episode too.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, what brand is it? Do you remember?
1: Uh, I believe. Okay, there's a couple of them, and they all have really generic names. So like, it's like Earth Breeze. Okay. <laughs> but there's okay. also like True Earth or so I don't know which one I have. I can't remember. I was just – I got it in the mail yesterday again, and I can't for the life of me remember what it was.
0: I'm going to look into this because I, I'm trying, as, as many decent people are, to remove as much plastic as possible from my life. And anything that you can find feels like such a win. Like, yes, yeah. and detergent has been a hard one because – I've tried powder. Well, first off, I tried making my own. And I feel like it wasn't good for my clothes. I feel like it was too strong. When you
1: make, like, what is supposedly detergent, it's not actually a Mm -hmm. detergent. There you go. So it's not. There's a difference between soap and detergent. Okay. Anyway.
0: (laughs) Well, no, I mean, I think that's a really important call. So, yeah. So I have tried that. And then I uh, tried using powder. But when you wash in cold, depending on your washing machine situation, it doesn't rinse away properly. I mean... I, I've tried like not putting too much in the washer and putting on a longer cycle and all these other things. So it's it's like a constant process. Sometimes you can try
1: pre-dissolving it.
0: Oh, that's a good idea. Like in a glass of water or something. Like a jar. Yeah, yeah.
1: That. Yeah, that's yeah. a good idea.
0: That's a good idea too. We're all learning something new every day.
2: If you want to ever add a segment about um doing laundry, <laughs> Maggie's your person.
0: Dude, I do because I feel like I feel like, uh, laundry is such a key component of making your clothes last. And like the only thing my mom ever taught me about clothing for laundry was just sort of by color, which I don't really no. do anyway, mm-hmm. but, uh, definitely there's a lot of misinformation out there that you need to wash things in warm so that it kills the bacteria or like you can't use powdered detergent cause it won't dissolve. And you know, like on and on. you need stain boosters and this and that, and like, that's just not true either. Be honest, it all I, sounds
2: yeah. like um, big detergent is breathing down our necks. <laughs>
0: big detergent.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and big washing yep. machine,
0: probably awesome. too.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Don't forget big fabric softener. Oh, yeah.
1: Oh, you got fabric softener. <laughs> just skip the fabric softener.
0: Oh, my God. I know. You also, if such...
2: you have any amount of sensitive skin, it'll cause you lifelong problems, really.
0: Yes, yes, for sure, for sure. And it's just it's just too much. I hate when you are like on the bus or the subway and you can just smell someone's fabric softener. Yeah. Oh, yeah like it's know. nauseating to me. When I was when I was pregnant with my daughter, that would like make me have to get up and throw up. Oh yeah, I know, like,
2: Get off the
1: bus and go throw
2: up. Yeah. It's way too and it's what never is... a good scent either.
1: There's some yeah. smell. Katie and I have both noticed this, but oh yeah. it, it must be a chemical that's also in cigarettes because Certain big-name detergents always smell like cigarette smoke to me. You can just say Tide. Oh, Tide.
0: Well, I... <laughs> you're yeah. Gonna oh, yeah.
1: In,
2: you're going to get a Tide kettle. Oh,
0: shit. Yeah, we're all going to get, like, Tide coupons tomorrow. They'll <laughs> be, like, hand-delivered. I have not used Tide in, like,
2: 20 years, but I'm trying to... You probably have thought that you've been around someone who is smoking, uh-huh. and it was probably their detergent. Wow.
0: You know what detergent I hate is gain. That stuff... It's Ugh. like you can smell someone across the room who's using Gain.
2: Like You can smell the Gain aisle from an aisle open like Yeah,
0: it's disgusting. I'm starting to like get a headache from like thinking about it. Uh. <laughs>
2: yeah. If you're buying sustainable clothing, look into – I mean, there's, there's different ways, I guess, for everyone to handle how they do those sort of really boring chores in their life, but I think that that could be a really important component to not only – you know, retaining the life of your garment, but also making your life not as gross. Like like all the plastics that you're talking, you know, that you've already talked about in clothing, don't need to continue on into how you care for your clothing as well.
0: Yeah, or anything in your house. For sure. For sure. Well, thank you two so much. This was so much fun. Now I want to only interview two people at a time from now on.
2: <laughs> but they have to have almost the same voice. Yeah,
0: so. totally, totally. I mean I can tell you guys apart and I'm like, oh, Maggie's the shy one.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's actually that's yes, you've you've summed up our, our life in one one. <laughs> <sentence there. Damn>. <laughs> <laughs> she's not really very shy and she's not um she's usually the more Aggressive
0: one. Oh, wow. Well, there you go.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And that's what we'll leave you with, right? Yeah.
0: Well, thank you so much.
2: Thank you. This has been awesome.
0: Thank you so much to Katie and Maggie for spending three hours talking with me. Please do yourself a favor and check out their brand, Salt Hats, which you'll find on Instagram at Salt Hats, but you didn't see that coming. They're literally the coolest, most beautiful hats I've ever seen. And I am a major hat aficionado, so I know what I'm talking about. (laughs) Not to brag or anything. I want to recap the signs of a fast fashion retailer for you because this is really important to me. So let's just go down the list real quick. You know, because this was split into two episodes and you might have forgotten some stuff, and we talked about a lot of other things. So, one, are new styles coming in every week? If the answer is yes, well, then it's fast fashion. Okay, next, does the store have a thousand or thousands or even hundreds of different styles and products? That's definitely fast fashion. Okay, is the clothing super trendy? Possibly ripped directly from the catwalk, Zara. If you said yes, well, you know the answer here. Let's keep going. Do items spend a short time at full price before going to markdown? This is such a major symptom of fast fashion. I've seen the time styles spend at full price be literally cut in half through the span of my career. Okay, next. Are there endless, confusing, promos discounts sales events I've seen this at Macy's and Kohl's of course and I've seen it on the Shein website among other places in fact the new Nasty Gal which is owned by Boohoo is always having a series of what I can only assume are fake sales and promos because everything's always like half off so isn't that half off price than the real price right if you've never gone to their site before, you might not know that and then you could fall for it. But I'm I'm assuming a regular customer is like, oh, those guys, add it again. Okay, next, and this is definitely one of my pet peeves. Is the retailer or brand emailing you like once, twice, maybe even more times each day? Like seriously, guys, I'm looking at you, Uniqlo. Stop bothering me. And lastly, is the clothing built to last? Because... If the fit is bad, the fabric is shoddy, and the sewing and trims are flimsy, well, you got yourself some fast fashion, no matter how much that price tag says. Okay. I hope that the next time you're in a store, you're going to ask yourself these questions. Take a look around. I would love to hear from you. Are there some stores that you didn't think were fast fashion that now you're realizing are? Do tell. I want to know what you think. Okay, moving on. Do you remember earlier in the episode when I mentioned the Obama-era law about overtime and salaried employees? I knew that I hadn't gotten it completely right because it had been a few years and my brain is stuffed with information. So I wanted to give you some more details about that because it was a huge deal for retail employees, like huge. So to explain it, I have to start with the Fair Labor Standards Act or the FLSA, which was passed in 1938. And this law covers a lot of stuff, like the number of hours minors, a.k.a. people under 18, can work, the minimum wage, and there's a lot of rules around overtime. In the scope of the FLSA, there are two types of employees, and no, they're not good or bad or lazy or hardworking or tall or short. They're exempt and non-exempt. An exempt employee is an employee that does not receive overtime pay or qualify for minimum wages. And in a moment, I'll explain to you what that is. So therefore, a non-exempt employee should be paid overtime. And federal law requires that people working more than 40 hours a week be paid 1.5 times their pay rate for the extra hours. So it's expensive for the company to pay overtime overtime. And therefore, if an employee is going to be required to work overtime pretty regularly, they're going to shift them to that exempt status, right? Because it's going to be cheaper for them in the long run. So I want you to just keep that in mind as I continue here. In general, exempt employees are described as being either professional, administrative, executive, outside sales, or my favorite, computer related. This is literally from the law, okay? So that's one of the sort of thresholds to become exempt. You have to fall into one of those categories. There's also a salary threshold for exempt employees. In 2016, when the Obama administration moved to change the rule, people earning as little as $455 per week which was the equivalent of $23,660 per year, could be forced to work 60 hours or more each week for no extra pay than if they worked 40 hours. It was a really low threshold and it hadn't been updated to align with changes in cost of living for a long time. In order to be considered exempt, meaning the employees would not be paid for overtime, They had to both fall under that threshold of $23,660 per year. And their their job had to fall under that list that I gave earlier. I'm gonna jump in here and say that a lot of retail managers and merchandisers and basically most full-time retail workers are considered exempt and they are usually salaried. The rest of the store employees are gonna be hourly. And even though these hourly employees could technically qualify for overtime, they're rarely receiving overtime because it's more expensive for the store's budget. And one thing you're always trying to do as a store manager is trying to reduce your payroll. Basically, you'll get a crazy target for the year. Somehow you'll hit it with a lot of pain for the salaried employees because hitting it is not optional. And so then the target for the next year will be set even lower. It's terrible. So, way back in the early aughts, when I was a department manager in a big fast fashion store, I made $24,000 a year to work 45 to 60 hours each week. I definitely rarely ever worked just 40 hours. So, how did that break out mathematically? Well, I made about $11 per hour if I worked 40 hours in a week. If I worked 50 hours, I made a little bit more than nine dollars an hour, and if I worked sixty hours, which happened an awful lot, I made seven fifty per hour. And I will say, of course, I was really excited to have this promotion and this opportunity to be one hundred percent full time. I realized <laughs> that ultimately I was making several dollars less per hour than I had been before that promotion. And that's not uncommon in the world of retail. Here's the other thing. My daycare provider didn't make a salary, right? She wasn't an exempt employee. She was hourly. So every hour I worked over 40 hours made me lose money. It was super stressful to know that I'm not getting paid anymore for these additional hours, basically, yet I'm paying more to my daycare provider. Every time we did a seasonal set, I would be required to work 12 to 14 hours each shift, and I would be filled with a sense of dread with each hour, thinking about how much I was paying my babysitter. And by the way, that threshold of $23,000 that I spoke about earlier had been set in 2004, right around the time I became a department manager. So clearly my salary was determined to just put me past that threshold. Just a tiny bit. You know, no one touched that threshold for 12 years. In 2016, the Obama Labor Department issued a rule that would have raised the overtime pay salary threshold to just over $47,000. So anyone who was salaried and making less than that would now have to be paid overtime. Or conversely, they would have to be given a raise to get to the $47,000. In a lot of cases... That would have actually been cheaper for the retailer to almost double the worker's salary and continue to get infinite numbers of hours out of them versus continuing to pay them the $23,000 and pay them overtime for all that extra work. So it was a hot deal in comparison, right? Furthermore, another part of this rule from the Obama Labor Department was that the threshold would be raised every three years to align with cost of living increases. Once again, it hadn't been adjusted in 12 years and retailers were freaking out, right? Because this is going to cost them a lot of money. Meanwhile, this would have been a huge win for so many retail workers who basically hadn't gotten a real raise in a very long time. Would have affected other industries too, but I'm speaking specifically in the scope of retail because I'm familiar with how these workers were being exploited. It would have also been a really great thing for all the working families whose parents worked in retail. Of course, a coalition of business groups spent a lot of money and a lot of time to get this rule overturned. I mean, they were furious about the prospect of almost doubling what they were paying exempt employees. After all, exempt employees had been a huge money saver for them, basically, a source of limitless labor that could be plugged in when the budget for hourly workers was low. Unfortunately for the retail workers, in November 2016, just before the rule was set to go into effect, a district court judge in Texas blocked the rule nationwide, and so nothing changed. In 2019, so three years later, the Trump administration enacted their own rule with the threshold being just about $35,000 a year, $679 per week. A huge lift up from $23,000, but this was considerably lower than Obama's plan. An estimated 8.2 million workers would be left behind by the Trump proposal. And the 8.2 million workers who would be left behind included 4.2 million women, 3 million people of color, 4.7 million workers without a college degree, and 2.7 million parents of children under the age of 18. Just to give you an idea of the people who really needed this overtime boost. So Obama's 2016 rule did require a large increase in the threshold, but only because the rule had not been appropriately updated since 1975. If the 1975 rule had simply been updated for inflation, it would have been roughly $58,000 in 2020, well above the projected threshold of the 2016 rule. And the Trump rule is around $23,000 less than the inflation-adjusted 1975 level. So when we talk about wage stagnation, which maybe you're not talking about, but I listen to a lot of economics podcasts, And I read a lot about the economy. I'm kind of obsessed with that as an amateur economist. And basically something that's been going on for a long time is that wages, the growth in wages has not been keeping up with the cost of living. So people working the same kind of job 20, 30 years ago felt richer than they would now, if that makes sense. Basically, I guess the Trump rule is better than nothing, but it's not as fair and equitable as the Obama version of the rule, and I'm not surprised, are you? This idea of exempt workers continues to allow retailers to get almost free labor from exempt employees when they work over 40 hours, which is always going to be cheaper than paying someone else an hourly wage, always. And while H&M wasn't technically allowing Katie to work overtime they kind of forced her to do it secretly my job meanwhile was definitely 100% telling me I had to work all the overtime that was demanded of me and that was that you know we talk a lot about how fast fashion and the fashion industry as a whole is exploiting workers overseas they're also exploiting workers right here in the United States by getting this free labor out of these exempt workers while paying them almost nothing at the end of the day. Gotta boost those profits somehow, right? You should be nicer to retail workers. It's a tough, stressful, exhausting job. It's not fun, period. I thought when I got my first retail job in college that it was gonna be so sick and fun And immediately I was like, whoa, this is really terrible. I wonder if I can get a job in the school library. (laughs) Let's be better to the people who bring us extra sizes or let us split a purchase onto two credit cards. Oh, I know y'all are doing that because I've rung you up. Or maybe the ones who search for that dress that we just had to have from another store. Let's be nice. These people deserve our respect. We can do better. Thanks for listening to another episode of Close Horse. If you like what you're hearing, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts. And you know, you could subscribe too because then you'll never miss an episode. And please tell a friend, a coworker, a friend of me, someone on Tinder, whatever. Let's get more people to stop giving money to assholes, slash, be nice to retail workers. <laughs> Thank you to everyone who has shared our content or recommended us on Instagram. It feels like the best day ever, every time it happens. Knowing that you're listening, that you're learning, that you like what I'm doing, it makes me feel so happy and it motivates me to do more. So thank you so much. Do you have some feedback, an episode idea? Do you want to be a guest on Close Horse? I know it's your biggest dream. <laughs> drop me a line at closehorsepodcast at gmail.com or DM via Instagram at closehorsepodcast. I'm still collecting those retail worker stories, so if you have one or you have something to share, please reach out. If you can't get enough of podcasts, and I know I've been blazing through them during the pandemic because I'm trying to cut back on my television watching because, you know, it was just getting out of hand there for a while, Right. So I'm blazing through these podcasts. Maybe you are too. Check out my other podcast, The Department. I co-host with my friend, Kim. We talk about trends, taste, our obsessions, weird things that we think are funny, and you know, all that stuff. You won't want to miss it. (laughs) Thanks as always to Dustin Travis White for our music and audio support. And wish him luck as we spend the next two weekends finally finishing our move to Lancaster County. It's just us, a U-Haul trailer, and lots of stops at Wawa. Bye!